Hello and welcome to Beyond Beckdale, the podcast about film and feminism. I'm your host, Contrera. Every year I ponder the concept of International Women's Day and I come to the same conclusion. There are some really good positive parts of it and I'm glad it exists but at the same time I would never want it to be used as an excuse for businesses let's say and the media at large to put a lot of effort into seeming to be supporting women for precisely one day of the year and I know that this is an approach that lots of people take to many other days seemingly celebrating something and then forgetting it as quickly as they celebrated it. So this is sort of a podcast episode for International Women's Day, but I'm releasing it and it's on a Friday today. And it's supposed to signify how women are absolutely killing it in the film and TV industries, as well as you'll find out in publishing and in gaming every single damn day and should be celebrated as such and they come up against far more obstacles than men do in any of the same fields. I have asked regular contributors Becky Lima Matthews and Jen Francis to return because they have a wonderful oversight of different parts of the industry from their specific points of view and they both seek to champion women across the arts and seek out work by women for special consideration and applause. So I asked them for three women who they feel should be honoured particularly on International Women's Day and generally in a variety of fields and I came up with three as well and if I do say so myself We did not disappoint. If you miss anyone's name or want to know more about any of the women we discussed today, notes about them will be in the show notes or you can email us at beyondbeck at gmail.com. That's beyond, then B-E-C-H. Or you can tweet us at beyond underscore Beckdale. And that's B-E-C-H-D-E-L. So without further ado, here's the episode, Celebrating Women. Hope you enjoy. So I asked you both, Jen Francis, Becky Matthews, to come up with three women for International Women's Day who, I don't even know if I even gave you much in in terms of um, uh, criteria, but who had influenced you or you were impressed with or you wanted to celebrate in some way. I came up with three as well, although I've cheated a little bit because I don't know 100% what you two are going to say because none of us have discussed this until now. So I keep wondering whether we might say the same people. Probably not. But um, maybe there's always a chance. Yeah. Uh, because there's a reason why, my friends. <laughs> and, um, um, I didn't rank mine in any way. Did either of you two rank? No, just no. three. No. Okay. Becky, you are top left on my screen. So please, can you go first with one? Okay, I'll hang those ones. All right. So they're three women, and they didn't have to be from film, did they? they no, were. no, 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 no. Although I, I skew that direction, unfortunately. I don't really do, but actually, uh, this year, for me, actually, it was books. 
um, and authors that really kept me going. So I'm going to go, I've picked two, three women whose work has had really, the thing that they've got in common is all, all three of them, um, people whose work that really got me through lockdowns and, and hard times in the past year. Um, two of whom I kind of only started to read specifically in that period. So they're all authors. Um, oh, wait, them, well, that, that's good because none of mine. One authors. of them is also now a screenwriter too. Right. Number one, Deborah Levy. Yeah, yeah. So she's not necessarily number one, is it? No, no, no. Sorry. Is. Yes. <laughs> yes. But the, the number the one quality. Is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, she is. Yeah, she's a wonderful author who I actually discovered by accident about two summers ago when I was house sitting for a friend and she left a pile of books on the on the table, said, Help yourself to any of these books. I was like, Great, need some new stuff to read. And I picked this one up and it said hot milk. And I was like, that's a funny title. And I just thought, oh, I don't really like milk. <laughs> like, I was intrigued. I was just like, who's there believing? Nothing about her. Went in and it was honestly one of my favourite books that I've read in the past 10 years. Just really vivid writing about interior lives and women's lives that I just hadn't seen, that um, I hadn't read in a long time. And I just felt like, you know how some people's work just comes to life off the page? I feel like, but more so than others, I felt like hers did. And she's got this way of writing that's like, you know, it's it's a kind of a kind of often sort of character studies, really, but then it, it will veer off into something that feels like a mystery that is never quite resolved. And there's a lot of ambiguity and the imagery is very powerful. And I went to a talk she did last, no, the year before last, <laughs> in the before time, <laughs> definitely not last year. And she was saying that one of her big influences is film. So I thought that was quite interesting. So I think she was a playwright. Um, and I could see this, I could picture it as a, as a visual, as a kind of mini-series. Um, and it, it made sense that, you know, all, a lot of the scenes felt very cinematic, like um, Hot Milk is set in its, um, this young woman, Sophia, and her mum, Rose, um, living in Spain because her mum's got this like mystery illness and you're never quite sure if the mum is if it's some sort of it's psychosomatic symptoms where you don't know if she's really unwell like what exactly is going on with her because no doctors seem to be able to help her in England which is why she's ended up in Spain and then Sophia's sort of struggling a bit with her identity because her dad lives in Greece so she's got this Greek name I can't remember what her surname is but um People, you know, people don't know, never know how to pronounce it. She's never quite sure of her own. I think her own Greek is a bit, um, you know, fragmented. So her, like, culture is, she's got kind of, like, got this a slightly alienated relationship with her heritage, and that's quite interesting. So she's someone that's displaced. She's not living in her home country, but she's also got, like, this second country that she doesn't know very well. Um, and her dad's off living another life with a younger woman. Because <laughs> massive surprise there. <laughs> no one doing that. So yeah, it's, it, there's all these elements to it, and there's this mysterious doctor who may or may not be dodgy, and you're not. And so not, you know. And there's this weird imagery about jellyfish, and <laughs> you know, all this quite um, powerful stuff going on. And but it's also, you know, funny and dark and strange, and a lot about. The mother-daughter relationship is fascinating as well. And I, I really like, um, in, in the other books I've read of hers, you know, she writes from different generational perspectives really well. And I think that's something that's really hard to do. 
you know, I can see why some authors stick to writing about, you know, maybe more about their age group or a particular point of view. And she seems to to capture, you know, character. Like, I mean, I, mean, I suppose that's what a good writer does is they can write, but it is, it is you know, really hard to write, you know, well from different. I feel like I'm rambling now, but yeah, that's, um, her books have been really good. And through lockdown, I was reading a couple of her memoirs. She's doing doing these trilogy of what she calls living memoirs because I guess it's not about looking back your whole life she picks particular eras like her young life in South Africa which was quite turbulent because her father was a, a member of the ANC and was you know opposing apartheid and that didn't make him very popular as you can imagine and um with the awful government so so she talked about that and then the cultural shift of moving to um to Britain um, as a young kid and Greasy Spoon Cat in London in the, whenever, whatever it was. And I just found that really fascinating. And then the next uh, memoir was The Cost of Living, um, which is all about her life post-divorce and sort of finding an entirely different life for yourself, you know, in middle age as a divorced woman, you know, having had this stability in this home and then suddenly having to make a new life for herself in a small flat with her teenage daughters and, and all and, and the kind of solo adventures that she went on. Um, Does she write with then. a different style? Does it feel different? Because is she very first person then, if it's memoir? Yeah, no, she, you can still, it's still, she's still, I mean, obviously, the, yeah, the memoir is different because it is, and then her, um, the, the novels I've read of hers tend to be third person narrative, so that is a bit of a move from there. But yeah, mm. but I think she's got a third one coming, so I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, that, that's my first one. That's a great one, yeah. So is, I'm, really, I'm d- definitely adding. Mm, I was going to ask you, Jen, have you read any of hers? I haven't. I know her. No. Uh, mm, no. I've heard the title really Hot Milk. A lot. So, yeah, yeah, I have heard the title it's Hot quite Milk. Short but... books, which I quite like. Okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 150 pages. <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> feel like it's insurmountable. Yeah. Like... No, not at all. Jen, so who's your first on your list? I have to first start by saying I actually found this quite difficult, uh, which is a bit of a strange thing to say, um, only because I think when you first sort of said, you know, you know, women, and I'm just like, okay, the, the, there's always a, a list of women that always automatically come to mind. And I was like, do you know what, actually, let me branch out from these same women that I'm always mentioning, Shonda Rhimes, uh, Wumi Masaku, um, you know, Ava Duver- DuVernay, and it's like, actually... Yeah who are some names that I don't know off the top of my head, but whose works I have seen um, and really enjoyed. So uh, the first person that comes to mind, so on that route of sort of show running sort of thing, um, is Mara Brock Akil. So Mara Brock Akil actually created and wrote, well, she was a showrunner for Girlfriends, the um, Naughties, Naughties TV series, uh, which starred Tracy Ellis Ross and all her friends. And that sort of dropped on Netflix, was it late last year? So um, I I think I was a bit young when it came out. So I did watch the first, a, a few episodes, but I wasn't quite vibing with, you know, what it was about. And sort of now that I'm roughly-ish the age they, I'm roughly now the age the characters are as they go into sort of their life and relationship mm. and love and friendship. So it was just really nice to sort of almost feel like I'm in their shoes. I'm nowhere near as successful as the main character, but <laughs> it but was nice to sort of watch very that. Very close to it, yes. Yes, yes, getting there. <laughs> um, so then, yes, yeah, so I've sort of dived down sort of through her works and stuff like that. And she also was the showrunner and created another, ser- another series called The Game, um, and. 
she also was a sh- created with her husband um an executive produced like a massive CW um series Black Lightning which sort of came off sort of Greg Belanti's hold the flash and um the Arrowverse sort of thing so oh, cool. yeah and she's recently signed um a multi-year deal with Netflix but I just thought it was so fascinating that actually I've seen a lot of her works and really enjoyed them but I didn't know her name so now she's a name that I'm going to be adding to the list um yeah, Mara Brock Akil. Do you know what she's... I think I read an interview with her only last year as well. I think I was the same as you. And, and I suppose it's probably because even when you're successful, probably to break through, you have to have had, like, multiple success. Because I'm guessing some of the things she made wasn't quite, you know, like an MCU mm. product or anything. So she has to have, like, yeah. three successful shows over, you know, 10 years in order to get the same kind of... Maybe not now, it's getting better, but... That's yeah, or, like, or just success within like a certain community because I know loads of people who yeah. watched and loved Girlfriends, but it didn't really ever explode. Whereas, for example, someone like Girlfriends Shonda Rhimes, the only who, one I know. So yeah, and I, I vaguely watched the game, and now Black Lightning. But for example, um, obviously Shonda's a bit more mainstream, and so is Issa Rae a little bit. And so I guess because she was in a specific world who really did love and appreciate her work, it didn't expand to mainstream. Mainstream. Mm-hmm. So I guess, but I mean now, like I said. She's recently signed a multi-year look deal, first look deal with Netflix. So I mean, she's uh, she's on the rise. So. Yeah. Do you know what she's gonna do first? Have they announced? No, the, no, no. They haven't announced anything about what she's gonna do next. Um, mm. But yeah, she just. I'm surprised that I've seen so many of her works, and I just didn't know her name. I didn't yeah. know she was a showrunner and executive producer. Um, yeah. I, th- I think the concept of show running now, like, you know, and I keep talking about Marvel, sorry, but um, because of someone like Kevin Feige, like, I wouldn't have known his name even, like, a few years ago, and that's been going for ages. But now now it seems to be... Yeah, and probably Ava DuVernay's probably... No, no, um, well, uh, hers is more with film. But, I mean, someone who's got... Nowadays, it seems to be, like... Um, you can have like a conglomerate almost. That's what mm. I think Duvernay has, and that's what Feige has. They have, they, they have a, a single vision that they then let out to other parties to realise, and that which I think is what you would want studio running. I don't, what, would, what would you call Duvernay? Producing? She's more than 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 just a director. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. Yeah, <laughs> but like show yeah. running. I want to say show running, but like and TV and film. You know. Yeah. So, and like I guess it's network. That's yeah. And I guess it's her name that sort of bypasses all those other barriers. So it, yeah. she's just got her fingers in absolutely everything. Yes. And sort of the same thing for Issa Rae was when it was Awkward Black Girl on YouTube. It was just hers and she starred in it and wrote it. And sort of that obviously filtered through to everything else when it became Insecure and um, yeah. the movies that she's done later on. So, yeah. Yeah, she's got a production company now, hasn't she? Yeah, she And does. Lena Waithe as well. You've seen her sort of like you know, go from being, like, a prominent sort of staff writer and co-star and things, you know, on other people's shows and then mm. just getting... And Aquafina, there's quite a few of them now, aren't there? I, w- yeah. I wouldn't say they're up with the, yeah, powerhouse thing, but but building and building and building and that. And they're, and they're all still quite young, I think, you know. I don't think the way he's been around a long time, but, um, but yeah, but... There's still that, like, when you think about Ava DuVernay, she had a whole, she had a pretty successful career, like, in, was it film PR? She was a publicist, yeah. wasn't she? Sorry. She was what? A publicist? She was a publicist, wasn't she? I thought. I think so. 
Something some, like yeah, or marketing or something along those lines. She was in that side lines. of it, yeah. But yeah. that's yeah. what she said she learned, you know, mm. what people were looking for on the salesy side, you know, what makes yeah. it work. It's very smart. Like, it's actually really hard to combine being as being creative and being really good at business, which I think is what a lot of these people have in common, or they surround themselves with other people who do the business stuff behind the scenes, <laughs> you know, or you know, or alongside. They have them. the final decision that it feels like. Yeah, but it, it's their vision. Yeah, what and not and to and to be able to make stuff. Obviously, everyone has compromised some mm. of their ideas, but you can still see that their voices come through loudly, yeah. and, they, and they are making good work that they want to make. They think is worth making. You know, it's, it's great, but. Still, when you think about it, still only a handful of names in the field. Yeah, <laughs> a lot of other stuff that is that who made that don't know. Some guy called Jeff. Sometimes I feel though, and like, t- tell me if you think this is wrong, but sometimes I feel like the black women are doing better than anybody else. It's it's uh, that, that's like really good to see. It almost feels like you know that the like the fact that like there was so much uh, discrimination before, but now we're entering a time where there's less I feel like um like you know maybe I shouldn't be basing it on race but I just feel like black women have, have, have just been like no we can do absolutely everything whereas mm. like, if you have some female white female showrunners who did something a little while ago did something a bit and then then they're more timidly going up there and I just love seeing someone who's like coming from well, that's not everybody not who you said Jen but, but like coming from a shorter t- period of time before they get right up there I think it's a race like that how long ago was her show have oh her- gosh uh, was it actually was ages ago I didn't realize I it was a very I think it was a while ago I mean I don't want to say up to 10 years but I mean it was oh, on, really? I know I watched I know I watched it on YouTube and it was like six episodes or something or like two mm. series but very short episodes yeah but it's it was definitely, it's been more than five, six, seven years, to be honest, since that. But yeah, I guess it's like, since it's her vision and she's sort of taken that and pushed that yeah. forward. And I guess it is a case of sort of, like you said, to an extent, it's like, okay, if nobody else is going to do this, I'll do it myself. And I I, I suppose mm. that's how they get into that position of just and being showrunner and writer. Can do it, so. Yeah, because it's yeah. hers. And I think then it's not letting go of that ownership and creativity which then I guess gets them when it does take off they stay up sort of there because it is them as opposed to I guess not having had those opportunities to slowly grow and do a little bit of this and a little bit of that it's sort of just been a all or nothing kind of situation so am I right in terms of mine so um yeah I really struggled with coming up with with just three because every time I kind of found a category I wanted to put more people in it <laughs> um and in terms of reading I've I've become worse and worse at reading I did read um a great book by Dana Cook which I had a whole episode on that's the beauty of having your own podcast is I've already championed a lot of people and I don't want to give people like old content so that was the the one book that struck me um called The New Wilderness last year but I was thinking of like where's something where I feel like I loved something but it wasn't quite in the I don't know public consciousness in the same way it was for me and, I, and I'm cheating again because I've got two but I want to talk about two performances 
Uh, one is Letitia Wright in um, Small Axe Mangrove, and the other is Gina Rodriguez in Cajillionaire. And both of those are where I saw people doing something different to what they'd seen, what they'd done before. And I know actresses are supposed to take on different roles, but they were so different and so good and so beguiling on screen. I kind of so my category is almost like you know two actresses who have still done good work and are famous but should be so much more famous and people should be knocking down their doors um I, I didn't watch all of small acts actually but I did watch lovers rock and mangrove and I just was blown away and in um mangrove Letitia Wright's character who is a, a rights activist is just she's got um she's got an accent I've never heard before she is like forgive me for saying this but she looks like quite a like a small skinny woman really to look at her she's got a particular body type but it does not matter because she is so powerful in her presentation and she transcends the idea of what you think just looking at a person on tv and it's so different to Shuri which I think was her breakout role I don't know if I know much else and I just want to see her in more of these powerful roles I just hope she does more well she obviously wants to do film but now we've got the relationship between film and tv and you know um tv is seen as so much more prestige I hope she does more British tv because I'd like to see her more in things like that as well as Hollywood movies she's got she's got her MCU paychecks hopefully she'll be like big in Black Panther too but um I just love that and um Rodriguez in Cajillionaire, so the Miranda July film, which I know Becky's seen. Jen, have you seen? No, I have heard of it, but I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, so I Miranda July, yeah, you loved it, didn't you? Yeah, did you do a review of it? For I did, yeah. Well, yeah, I think I read it. Um, uh, so I think I think they're both out, but I think you can watch both of them now. I should have probably said to you both, we should probably say where we can get things. Like Deborah Levy books, you can say. And can you get most of the shows? You yeah, you can definitely get, yeah. yeah, yeah, you can. That's fine. Excellent. Netflix. So well um, I, I think you can, yeah, I think you can rent or, or get Cajillionaire now. And I, and I know that you can just go on iPlayer, at least in the UK, and um, watch Mangrove. But in Cajillionaire, um, Rodriguez's character is, and, and uh, mild spoilers, but I don't think it will really change things. She's, she's sort of playing a gay character. Are we, are we saying she's a gay character, Becky? I yeah. It's not, it's not a defining characteristic. And she is, no. she's in this beautiful romance with it's a romance I don't even know I feel like I'm really in the film watch the, watch Cajillia there um this subtle romance with Evan Rachel Wood's character who has really gone through some stuff and the film is anyone who's watched any of Miranda July's films she's she's a singular talent and not everything is for everybody she's a bit crazy but um nobody makes what she makes going back to what we were talking about nobody else could make that and in Cajillionaire I just think she gets something out of Rodriguez that I haven't seen probably because she's most famous for you know she's done some tough actiony stuff but she's also most famous for like like comedy and so um I just I, I just love how this played out on screen and I just I just wanted to just watch Gina Rodriguez she was just like luminous and everything she did and I just think I hope she does more work because she was ubiquitous and then now I don't think like I hadn't had you seen anything else of her before I don't think I've seen her in anything before that um and she like you said she just lit up the screen and also 
I was slightly nervous because I thought, oh, it's going to be a tokenistic. They brought in this Latina character and it, yeah. oh, no, she's going to be. Uh, I, I was slightly worried about her positioning in that. And I thought, no, don't project those. I think it's just, you know, films like Baby Driver who've done that with Latin American characters before. Yeah. Um, oh, uh, it's been my life. about Isaac Gonzalez. I don't, I don't know if it's for this podcast. But. Yeah, yeah. And, and But it wasn't that. I didn't think it was that at all. It doesn't... Um, Although, although it doesn't erase her um, either in the sense that, you know, she does make this one, like, it's not a spoiler to say they're low-level rifters. Like, all of them are rifting. They're a family you can get that from the trailer, I'd say. Yeah, with the most ridiculous scams. Like, you know, I feel like your life would be so much easier if you just got even, like, a low-paid job than these ridiculous and it's hilarious. She comes along, but she, you know, in one of the scams, which I won't, reveal she said she turns around and basically says yeah well I think it would be a bit worse for me as a Puerto Rican <laughs> you know I think as a Puerto Rican woman I think she is and it's like yeah and they don't consider that because of course they don't have to they think that they are you know down on the luck and they are but they are also they've made certain choices in life that mean they have to live that way yeah and I th- I do think the heart of the film like you were saying like is in in those two young women having that kind of dynamic mm. So have you never watched Jane the Virgin then? Oh, is that her? Is she Jane the Virgin? Yes. Yeah, I no. haven't seen it. But... I've never seen it, but I wouldn't yeah. have recognised her though. Well, there you, go, there you go. I suppose that's my point maybe made for me. I, yeah. suppose, I suppose, let's just say my category is amazing women actresses who transcend character and just brought some happiness to me last year, <laughs> yeah. showing just how talented they are. I'll move on now to Becky, number two. Number two. Okay, so my second uh, one, so it's actually you talking about struggling to read in lockdown, and I did for many months until I read Queenie by Candice Carty-Williams. Um, and you probably heard of this book. It's been very hyped. And I was slightly wary of it going, and I thought, oh, I've overhyped this for myself. I'm going to have big <laughs> expectations. And they were more than met. Um, can't recommend it highly enough. It was a book that, you know, when you're like excited to read the next bit and it was very hot this summer. So I was just like, I feel quite dizzy, but I've got to sit down in a cool room and read this book. Um, and I think it is being, has been optioned by Channel 4. I think it might be in development. And I, so hopefully she's writing script for that as well. Excellent. And it's like a singular voice. I felt immediately like I was in Queenie's world. Like it's very much like a London book. Um, you know, she, I don't know if you know the story, she's, Queenie is a young um, black journalist who um, it goes through a lot of sort of mental health um, problems, but also it's it's about life, really. There's so, there's so many different elements to it. It's really about character, um, more so than situation, um, and her friendship. The, dy- the friendship dynamic is just one of the best French friendship in your 20s, like, you know, dynamic that I've ever read, I think, just, you know, their WhatsApp group and, and that goes across class and race as well because she's got this slightly annoying white best friend or white close friend who's obviously a bit posh and thinks she's less posh than she is but although she's not a caricature I, I want to stress none of them are the characters are all written with love even when they're sort of critiqued I guess and uh you know her her, her best friend I think is lifted whole I think she is based on her real life best friend and you can tell that and you know, and, and there's a lot of pain in the breakup of a relationship as well, but it's like a slow, drawn-out thing that's very... And, um, you know, and her, she, you know, her, 
difficulties in dating and stuff, her family life, professional life, and, and some of the decisions she makes, which are not always great for her. And I relate to that, you know, even though my life was very, very different to Queenie's, I just thought all saying the wrong thing at work or not having the confidence to speak out in certain situations because of reasons why you've been shut out of rooms and all kinds of reasons. And I just found, you know, even stuff that obviously wouldn't be relatable to my life. There were elements that were and I, and gave me insights into aspects of, you know, life that I could never relate to. And that's what a great book does. It, it, it draws you into a world, even if that world is different to yours, and makes you want to know more. Like I ended the book still thinking about it for days after. The, the final scene is very powerful. Um, and it, it does, it gives a sense of, it doesn't neatly wrap things up. It, it, it has all the mess and the ambiguities of life that I really like to see, you know, you know, sort of, a, a dis, you know, something left slightly unresolved in a friendship or something um, introduced in a family dynamic that you're like, well, they've sown, she's sown the seed here really well, but they haven't just gone through the neat um, wrapping everything up ending and, I, yeah, I just loved it. And also it was laugh out loud funny in places, which I love in a book, you know, as well as heartbreaking, because I think one of the hardest things to do is to write about serious things with a, with a sense of humour. And that's not to say that the, the heaviest stuff isn't even, it, wait, it absolutely is, but it's not like I'm making a point and then I'm cracking jokes. But also we need to use this sort of humour as a line of defence as well in that self-deprecating way that a lot of people do, especially women. And I thought, yeah, I can relate to that. You know, I can understand that. And I and I felt like that felt very true. Having heard Candy Carty Williams talk in real life, I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Although I think Queenie is a much more extreme version. You know, she's not based on her, but obviously I think has lived up some of her life experiences. And... Yeah, it just felt like a deeply personal book, you know, um, that I believed in. I believed in the character. You're a journalist as well, because I feel like I know more about her from where she's written yeah. things, as, as in, you know, in a in a newspaper, more than her. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, she is. I think, well, she started publishing, and then she uh, wrote her novel after having been in publishing for a few years. I, yeah, it's all quite young. I think she's only in her early 30s. Um, and I, yeah, like I said, I think that there is a series coming of Queenie, which I think hopefully will be good. And I yeah. think that she will be on the writing. That will make sense if, if she's not show running it. I'm sure she'll be like the main writer. It would make sense. So, so yeah, that would be that was my she was my second pick because like I yeah I had really struggled to read. I'd read like nonfiction weirdly, which is not normally my favourite thing. Yeah, you know, I normally lean more towards fiction. And I just couldn't get into reading at all. And then I thought, I'll just order this, see, if, see how I go. And yeah, it just it sort of sparked off me wanting to read more fiction again. So yeah, it was great. Have you read any of her, Jen? I have read Queenie. And I think hearing ah. you talk about it, Becky, makes me think I should go back and reread it because I wasn't a fan oh, of the yeah. book. I think there were definitely a lot of elements that you mentioned that I really enjoyed, like her friendships and yeah. the two kinds of friends that she had and having to, you know, how she explored those two different kinds of friendships and her life in general and just the mistakes she made, the cringe moments that just sort of felt really true. Yeah. But there, there was something about her character specifically that I never warmed to. Oh, really? Yeah, but as I've heard you speak about, I'm like, do I need to give this another <laughs> give this another read? Did, did I miss something in there? Because yeah, everything you said is true from what the book was and the messages that it had. 
but there was something about I think specifically the main character Queenie that I just couldn't quite I don't even want to say relate to because you don't have to necessarily relate to the characters that you read in fictional books or whatever but there's just something about her that I didn't like and so I think I think when I guess I'm not sure I'm not saying she's supposed to be a likable character per se but I think I didn't like her so it was quite difficult for me to (laughs) (laughs) to connect with certain things that was going on but like as a general whole I really enjoyed the book and the themes the messages but um yeah but now I'm like oh I have to give it a reread before um the series comes up yeah well that is interesting well yeah I mean there were moments where I thought I think I felt myself saying out like oh Queenie why are you doing this you know like these are not good decisions but at the same time yeah but I also like that that kind of yeah I think yeah she was possibly not likable at points and um you know and I did like the dynamic with her best friend as well. I really yeah. believe in that. Um, and I just, yeah, and I, yeah, there were some really cringe moments with, with some mistakes that were made. And like, I just, yeah, and her relationships with men were quite genuinely upsetting at times. The amount yeah. of times I go, please leave this situation immediately. This is yeah. a very bad thing. Um, but again, that felt very real. It very, felt very real for a specific moment in a young woman's life, and especially with all the when you combined all the elements that were happening in work mm. at home. You know, it was like a perfect storm to the things to to go awry to the extent that they did. And I also quite like the fact that it was a snapshot of a year in her life, yeah, as well. So it gave a certain immediacy to the whole thing. I don't think Jen, you should read it again if you don't like her. Are you going to suddenly then like her? Has that ever happened? Do you know what? I think sometimes as well. Like I was, it was um, I was part of a book club who who suggested the book, and I don't tend to like to read books that are really popular. Oh, at me, a moment me in time either. so I tend to have to wait a little while to then be like, okay, nobody's talking about it. Let me just yeah. read it. So, so I just wonder if. <laughs> Because I wonder if, because like my friends were really excited to read it and they were all raving about it afterwards. I was, and I was like, did I not like this because of the heavy expectation to like it? Or is it that I didn't like it? So I think if anything, I will try and give it another try. Well, at least in the first hundred pages and then just see if that's, if it was me or if it was the popularization thing that I have an issue with. Yeah, no, that's totally fair. That's totally fair. And it, it has had its, its criticisms as well. There was one thing that I'm, was slightly, I guess, um, blind to in terms of the portrayal of one of the friends who is Jewish, and they someone said, "Oh, you know, all the heap, the praise that's been heaped on this um, book, but they've she's really created quite a stereotypical kind of middle class spoiled Jewish princess kind of character." Um, and I thought, "Wow, I didn't really read it that way." But then I thought, "Well, that's maybe a blind spot because I don't really, you know, I hadn't really been looking for that." Uh, as a you know, but yeah, there were there probably were some cultural stereotypes in there um, yeah. that need that you know were not that's not okay and that should be should be critique. But you know, on the whole, I would say there was more that I loved about it um, in general. Um, and the, the characters did. You know, sometimes you're reading a book and you think this just really feels like a character that exists purely for the the life, you know, to fill in space in a novel. Mm. Um, and I thought, yeah, there's a. There's another book that I read the summer before. I know I'm, I'm sneaking in an extra person, but Gail Huntingman, who wrote a book called Elef- Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine. Oh, God, I didn't like that book at all. No, see, I, I haven't it. read it yet. That was the I number one I was waiting for it to popularise. 
<laughs> I, I love that because I think it's one of the best books about loneliness and platonic friendship between men and women. Do you know what? I, I gave love. it 50 pages. I'm worse than Jen. <laughs> I was like, oh. I think 100 pages is too long. Of, see, the, the one of Jen's very book is only 100 pages. That's very, very good. It's kind of book, there's books that, yeah, I, um, yeah, I, there's, there's famous books that, that I will not admit that I'm not a fan of. <laughs> I mean, you get into a whole different conversation about how if someone's created a character that you dislike, have they actually done a good job because they've created someone real, albeit someone yeah. who gets your hackles up. I'm going to move us along because we've been talking yeah. a while. Jen, who's your second uh, international woman? Um, my second woman is, again, on the theme of less appreciated or always there but haven't even appreciated is Emma Thomas so yeah yes so for (laughs) anyone listening who doesn't know who Emma Thomas is she is the producer of um, Tenet and Inception and everything that you've heard Christopher Nolan's name attached to because she is his wife so I I specifically added that as the last bit because that's the first thing you read about her anyway no no Jen you mean he is her husband that's exactly it he is the husband (laughs) he's the husband (laughs) to Emma Thomas and just the fact that she's produced all these amazing things and I wouldn't say who I was having this conversation with but when I was just like oh gosh should I add her to my I was talking about who she is and someone said to me, is she any good at her job? And I was like, why would you say that? And they were like, oh, no, I'm just like asking. I was just like, but she's attached to some fan- like some blockbuster films. Do you know what a producer does? Like they're the ones who stand up and take the award for best film, like at the Oscars and the, and the whatever. So for you to ask if she's good at her, of course she's good at her job. Because so that also floored me. <laughs> and so she is hella underappreciated. Um, yes, so Emma Thomas. So, I mean, what is some of your favourite films that Emma Thomas specifically has produced? Yeah, I just oh, I just love all the stuff she's done. Yes, I'm sure it does help when, you, you know, your husband and your husband's brother are writing things that are making things hmm. that um, people want but haven't seen in a certain way before. Also, what people don't know, I, or sorry, what I didn't know until recently is that Emma Thomas is also one of the producers of all of the, or most of the DCU films. This I, I did not know. Yeah. <laughs> Because I don't, I don't, you know, I, I like my superheroes and I like my comics. Oh, and, um, yeah, because Christopher Nolan the wants production. to do Superman stories, their production company. So she, yeah. you know, she's across the board. She's doing... The Batman trilogy was her, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I love that. She produces the, everything. The Prestige. Yeah. Like, it's just love some fantastic film. films that have had some fantastic costumes and just sort of locations and cast and everything that a producer has a hand in signing off and making happen like Inception like Inception was fantastic like Interstellar was great I mean to pull off Interstellar is just a feat in itself so I mean she's done some phenomenal producing um and I think that gets hella overlooked yeah and she doesn't um uh, she's she's also uh, she's also I don't want to use this word but she's also a victim of the fact that she doesn't want to be out Mm. in the open both of them I'd say her and her husband whoever he is um are are very private people and I've um he's only my favorite director and um (laughs) uh he 
uh, she I've heard her talk a couple of times not not actually seen her mm. in person but you know watch videos and things and she's really articulate but you can tell she doesn't believe it's her job or that if she gives too much you know then then she'll feel like she has to do something all the time and it's like exactly as you said Jen she does so many things as a producer but they don't have to be um crowd facing audience facing it's all the stuff behind the scenes um yeah what a good pick yeah both excellent picks do you want to say anything else about Emma Thomas or just remember her name (laughs) that's that's it (laughs) yeah and you should get her name on one of those girls on top t-shirts. Yeah, oh, should be them. Yeah, because they good. have some great directors, but you're right. There's like actually more producers, screenwriters, cinematographers whose names we should be wearing on our tops. Yeah, and just even in regards to producers, like people when I asked this person I was speaking to, oh, you know, name some producers, and they're like Jerry Bruckheimer and um, gosh, what's the guy Steven Spielberg and thing. It's just like okay, but. So there are names, like producers, I mean, I know those guys also sort of wrote direct sometimes, but producers are on the names of people's lips. So yeah. why not Why not hers? Very true. Very good point. Whenever I watch anything now, I look at the credits and I do a little maths and think how many female, you know, female sounding names, I should say, because you never can tell unless you're looking people up, but how many female sounding names are there in producer list? And I I actually think this is something we could go into in more detail in another podcast episode, because there are, because producers don't always want to be as famous as Spielberg, you know, he's probably not famous for his producing as much as everything else. (laughs) Um, And um, there are actually a lot of, like, for example, um, David Fincher, David Fincher's wife. Mm. And guess what? I cannot remember her name and I apologise to her. But um, she he met her because she became a producer on some of his earlier films. They're now married. Mm. I think he was married before. And she still continues to produce all of his films. And I can't even remember her name. And I love David Fincher. I've watched all of his movies. So um, I, I think there's, there's something to be said for highlighting that... Um, that we need to know more about our producers generally and what they Yeah, because I mean, I understand what you mean in regards to fame, but I guess it's it's not even fame, it's just like knowledge, I guess. And like I said, you've watched a lot of all of David Finch's films and you can't remember the name of the producer, for example. So, but it's, yeah, like, like that even, yeah, <laughs> knowledge, just knowing the names and being able to sort of know them without looking them up. And obviously I, I looked her up as I was researching. I was just like, gosh, his, his wife is a producer, right? What's her name? And obviously then came to that. And you know what? I also was thinking as you both were talking that actually the more we know of and other female producers, mm. the better it is for all of us because those of us who are women who want to make films and tell our stories and see more female-led stories on the screen as well not that Emma definitely making those but still to have better representation on screen we need more female producers like yeah. that you know and there is actually and you just reminded me of someone who's a newer producer called Sarah Brocklehead who's just started her own production company she produced a film Animals which is an indie film but kind of a breakthrough feature in that um you know I hadn't heard of her before that and then I realized she'd actually produced a, a super low budget feature film that I liked from about eight years ago I think called Black Pond which was like Ooh. a no money shot in one house kind of um very weird sort of art house film but um and dark comedy and mm. she was a producer on that and then went on to do animals and now has her own production company and hopefully that will you know a nice follow on Instagram and stuff and and I find that really interesting I'm like well she's she's got you know she's kind of 
created a really good Instagram where she's out there and being very visible in the, in the film world, even though she's like relatively young and new, but she's been making films probably for about 10 years, like yeah. sort of barely under the radar and is kind of coming more closer to the mainstream now, I think. Yeah, mm. good thing. So yeah, producers, my, my rest of 2021 resolution is to learn all their names, especially <laughs> female ones, and champion them more. Hello, I'm Candice Carty-Williams and I'm the author of Queenie. I was looking for books that I could see myself in and I read broadly, I've always read very broadly and watched and, and everything that is possible. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm still not quite finding me. Um, uh, to go to my second, um, I'd like to completely change direction and talk about someone in the world of gaming. So as uh, you might know, I really like video games. And one of the things that I've been doing more in lockdown is not reading and improving my mind. It has been using a controller to murder people um, and various other pursuits. Uh, I really like it because I feel like gaming, for me personally, felt like one of the few things I had actual control in, in what I was doing in a way that other things are obviously more passive and you know COVID meant a lot of passivity but I've all, I've just always liked gaming since I was a child and who are a woman I've discovered recently who I absolutely love is a journalist who's now moving into games creation called Alana Pierce. She's in her late 20s, she's Australian but she lives in LA. To be honest she's pretty famous in terms of what she does as in in the gaming community but perhaps not outside of that have either of you two heard of her i haven't no. no okay so that's that's at least something and um, she uh has been into games since, since she she was young she writes brilliant pieces she now does a lot more youtube and to camera pieces it, um she's she's got beautiful she's got this long uh white blonde hair but she but she's not you know she, she's not trying to trade on her looks because she, or maybe she is, but she um, has so much knowledge about so many games and she has a way of speaking and a way of articulating about games, which is like no one else I've ever heard. I understand what she's saying. I learn something from her. I don't feel I'm being patronised, which actually a lot of male gaming writers and and presenters I, I do and I don't think that's necessarily anything to do with gender I think it's to do with the idea that there is what I don't know what you two know about Gamergate but the, the, there's a lot of kind of ownership issues and, and discrimination within the gaming industry that we're only just starting to unpick um, and Alana like she she just I can't explain it. She just breezes through it. She she will she will not talk about any of that and will just go completely on the subject. She's so intelligent. She's so nice to everyone she speaks to. She has this very measured tone, which in journalism I think is really important because it's very easy to take a position, get heckled, etc. And now her commitment to what she's been doing has been rewarded on the basis that I think she always wanted to actually work within gaming like a lot of film journalists want to be filmmakers and she now has a job I think at, at Sony and um, I don't know exactly what she's doing but she keeps hinting when I listen to her or watch her videos about um, some content creation she's actually doing she's getting to work with characters in games and I, I cannot get too excited about this because it's like 
Gaming, in a way, can be better than other parts of the industry in terms of representation, because when you're dealing with, I don't know, things like magic fantasy worlds, you get to play out every single thing. And also, you know, I'm... I'm a woman who picks up a controller and might might play as the Witcher. It, it's it's I identify I identify with Henry Cavill a lot. Um, I identify with if you've seen the Witcher show. Um, <laughs> I identify with these big burly male characters, uh, but it's so nice to hear that there's actually going to be someone with a strong female voice who's coming in there and is going to help shaping it. So I can actually find more characters who are more like me and maybe aren't necessarily always shooting people or big and burly so Alana Pierce recommend her just look her up um and yeah long may she continue do things and I cannot wait to see what she does with this mysterious game she's making huh. uh, do you have any thoughts on gaming have you two ever played anything yes <laughs> no I think I, very briefly at one point with PlayStation 2, I was obsessed with Kingdom Hearts and that was about the, <laughs> the, the, st- the start and end of it. But it was, I think, something I really tried to try and make room for at one point, but with the film and the TV and the books and the writing, I was like, it's just... <laughs> a whole layer, a whole world, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just got back into gaming, actually. Ah. I go through phases. So... I was trying to explain to someone over the summer because I said I was into mobile gaming. They were like, what, is that like Candy Crush Saga? And I was like, three times, no, mobile gaming is not just Candy Crush Saga. <laughs> so I like, I'm a, my favourite game of all time is Monkey Island. Oh, my too, I love that um, game. <laughs> yeah, I'm such a geek. I've actually got a Monkey Island t-shirt that says, I fought the Swordmaster on Relay Island and all I got was this stupid t-shirt, <laughs> which is possibly the nerdiest thing I own. I'm just admitted to that but like um yeah but even my favorite games right they are it has one female character which is governor elaine marley and she though i love the fact she basically rescues herself like i don't need this useless guy brush street but i can rescue myself which and is, he is really useless nice. sorry my yeah, chat. <laughs> sorry i've gone off tangent but no I, you're I'm not sorry. it's great i love those kind of games and so i've never owned a console in my life but i've got into playing things on my phone or on my pc I've got a steam account again now and i've been i've just played i so said most of this winter playing life is strange um which it, they're amazing games this beautiful studio in France I think and the animation is incredible they're like I would describe them as almost like playable movies they're like films wow and they're so episodic well they are literally broken up into chapters and the first one you play is these this young girl this teenage girl in high school and you can mess around with time and that's quite cool and it's got quite a cool alternative soundtrack and all stuff that I love and all these like pop culture easter eggs and the storytelling is really great um, and then the second, Life is Strange 2 is a completely different story. And you know, it's a bit of a polemic, actually. So it was written in 2016. It's very much Trump's America. Oh it's quite upsetting in places. Like mm-hmm. you play as these two young Mexican boys on the run uh, from the law. And you know, you're like, okay, no, nothing is going to be easy for these kids. It, it's already bad. They've got people constantly telling them to go home. Um, even though they're in the country that they were born in and you know all this stuff mm. and you know and uh, there are horrible racist characters in it but there are also allies that they meet along the way that try and help them and there's also a supernatural element to it and it's just 
but the decisions that you make on behalf of these boys affect the outcome and there are seven possible endings and I felt responsible for these mm. boys I was like oh no I don't know what to do and in fact in Life is Strange the first one there was something that happened to a character that I felt so guilty about I had to go back and replay the chapter to change the ending of that oh I do that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> I, think yeah. I, I, I googled it and there are whole articles and like <laughs> forum threads about people who went I couldn't handle what happened to that character I had to go back and replay oh my gosh. it so it really plays on your empathy um and I love that and the storytelling I I don't know why people be really sniffy about gaming but I actually think some of the best script writing is actually to be found in games that's the beauty of the world we live in now is that there's something for everybody and I hope that more women will try things because those gender stereotypes are quite hard and they came from us being Mm. young you know and we've got to try and fight through them it's better now Gen Z and below alphas or whatever they're called I think are going to be fine but I, I definitely think that the majority of people who are my age group uh, women, sorry, are are not into it because they think it's not for them. And I'm like, but it's like TV. You don't watch every single TV program. You don't watch every film. There's something for you. Um, no, that's really good because just uh, I was gonna say, just on hearing like the life is strange. Now I'm like, oh, where can I where can I play? Yeah. I guess it's, it's, it's like you it's like you said. Like I I think just from when I was growing up, it was yes, Kingdom Hearts for me. Otherwise, everyone, I think Call of Duty had just come out and that's all everybody was playing at school. And if you weren't playing COD, then you just weren't cool. And I was just like, I don't, I'm not good at this. This, what do I, there's like four four Mm. buttons to press at the same time. I'm stressed out. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, there's, there's more to gaming as I've just learned (laughs) than that. So yeah, no, definitely something I'm going to have to now. Oh, I feel quite good about that. That one more track to Jen's pile of things. (laughs) Try not to get too mad at me. Of course, I am on the inside. I only have an inside perspective. Back before I worked in the games industry, I was convinced game reviews were paid off too. And then I worked in the industry and I realized how dumb that was. And it is really, really just that people have different opinions. Do you mind talking again, Becky, for your number one, please? International. So, yeah, my third pick um, is another one. Not number one, sorry, your third. I'm making it, I'm ranking them again. Sorry, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Rankings. So, so, yeah, another writer uh, in the trilogy of writers today. Um, But she's brilliant. I only, I think, discovered her this year, probably. Um, She's American, um, I'd say mainly famous for being a I guess, essayist. I kind of hate that expression, but I, I don't know. She writes a lot of personal essays anyway. Mm-hmm. And books, And it, she started off, I think, with, I'll tell you, I haven't told her her name yet. <laughs> it's I was just thinking, um, did I miss a name? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was like, dropping clues. I was waiting with anticipation. I was like, well, I've heard, yeah. heard of her. <laughs> I'll just drop a few breadcrumbs and then hopefully you'll get it. Um, <laughs> so her name's Samantha Irby. Um, I heard her on a podcast and she made me laugh so much. I was like, I need to hear what else she's done and I actually in fact I didn't read her at first I got back into audiobooks because I was like I need some I need to hear someone reading to me (laughs) to balance the reading and like when I'm on walks yeah so I like I was laughing to myself in the supermarket a few times (laughs) because of her um and she but she writes about again like some heavy topics from her life she's had an incredible life and some of it is deeply traumatic so yeah I think uh I'm slightly worried I was talking about poo. <laughs> but anyway, 
anyway, <laughs> she, she does talk about her illnesses and her relationship. Not where I thought this conversation would go. <laughs> and, yeah, and she's got these three books, and the third, I, I started off with the third one, so obviously totally out of order. I need to go back and listen to the other, or read the other two. But she wrote this book called Wow, No Thank You. And it is honestly everything from, you know, have you know having lost her parents quite young to her skincare regimes and everything <laughs> possible in between. And like her, her, you know, her fierce defending of the Dave Matthews band, which <laughs> I was like, I wasn't expecting that. That was quite funny. Um, but also she is one of the writers on the TV show Shrill. And oh, she yeah. talks about how she kind of got into screenwriting. So that was the, based on the memoir of a friend of hers who's called Lindy West. And uh, Lindy West basically was like, I've got this show now from my memoir. Do you want to come on board and become a screenwriter? Mm. So she sort of talks about the imposter syndrome going, I don't know how writing, you know, screenplays works. And it's like, actually, you just want one form of humorous writing for another. And she's now, I'm very excited um, because I, I heard about the Sex and the City reboot and I thought this is going to be pointless. Then I heard she was joining the writing team and I was like, okay, there's one Samantha back in this series. Um, and I'm now interested again. So, um, yeah, she's on social media. I think her handle is Bitches Gotta Eat, which is, I think... Of course it is. Blog. Yeah. Love it. It's, it started out as a blog and I think her blogs just got more and more popular that she ended up turning them into books. And the first one, I think, is called Meaty. And that is being turned into a series by I think co-creative with Abby Jacobson from Board City and apparently she was a, a fan and there's like a whole bit in Wow um, No Thank You about how Abby Jacobson was emailing her and Samantha Irving was slightly obnoxious with her she was like yeah yeah I'll reply to that she's like I'm trying to meet up with you in New York because I want to turn your book into a thing <laughs> like can we have a meeting? Oh I love almost blows her opportunity to collaborate because she's like yeah yeah there's, I hate emails or something like that I'm being very glib but it's, her tone is very very funny mm-hmm. and you know she's probably spinning some stories that are not as as interesting into but bigger stories mm-hmm. and um yeah so there's 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 just you know it she just seems she makes it seem seamless even though it is obviously very difficult to write about deeply personal things and complex things and but I love the way she skips between subject matter in a seemingly random way, but there is a sort of coherence to it. And hearing it in her voice specifically um, was really good, you know, and just like when I didn't want to have to sit and read and I just wanted to hear someone telling great stories, um, that was, she was great. And I'm really quite excited that she's going to be doing more screenwriting because I think um, her voice um, deserves to be in more places and um, yeah and and I would say um, Shrill is worth a watch if you haven't seen that um, she wrote one of the best episodes in season one and I think they're all on iPlayer actually yeah they're but on I iPlayer think. at the moment and they're quite short episodes they're like 20 minutes long although on the subject of uh, unlikable protagonists there are moments um, where Annie the main character played by A.D. Bryan like, in fact in the episode that Matt Irby wrote she just goes off on this one rant and there's two characters just staring at her like, you are so self-involved. <laughs> and she has no idea. And, and this, I love how like unself-aware she is at this point in her life. But no, like I like the idea that of Samantha Irby that you heard her, like her voice, like her transcended, obviously it was her voice on the audiobook, but the fact that her book, because it was her voice and it was so funny, the book 
will likely be um, as humorous and, you know, really show through her tone and, you know, the message that she's trying to get across. And I've already written her down, like my list that I've got from today's uh, chat is now just growing. Uh, yeah, she's fantastic. And I love that as well, like, you know, blogger to novelist to screenwriter. I've always loved that progression kind of thing. And it is a case yeah. of like writing is writing in a sense. And humor is humor and story is story. And it's just a case of learning how to tell it for different mediums. Um, uh, yeah, exactly. now that, like you said, now that she's going to be on Sex and City, I, I'm a little bit more like, oh, oh okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm exactly. a little bit more interested now. First, I had my curiosity. The story called The Triplets. When I was 19, I lived in a fucking crack house. Both my parents had died the year before, and I chose to drop out of Northern Illinois University, where I had spent the last semester of my studies watching Braveheart every single day and eating ice cream sandwiches in bed, and jettisoned a potentially exciting life filled with hanging around frat parties to which I had not been formally invited, to instead rent a room in a split-level ranch house in a decent neighborhood that had been repurposed from moderately attractive single-family home to fully functioning crack house and possible bordello. Jen, your third choice. So my third choice is a bit of a last-minute addition um, that I didn't really want to add. Okay, well, we'll get into it. So Meghan Markle is actually my third person. So, um, yeah, which is probably why I was just on the news this morning. I was just like, oh, screw it. So I I guess I should start by saying I'm not like a massive royalist and I haven't really been following too much of the conversation. Obviously, everyone knows this big interview is coming soon and that's sort of why it's sort of going on and on and on. Um, And I think... I specifically chose her not for her herself but for the conversations that have sparked from everything that's been going on um so just in terms of the silencing of women and being labeled a bully and colorism and things like that um and just that whole even though it's 2021 I I was on the news the other day I just happened to flick to it and someone from some royal magazine was just like I think she should shut up and just and I was just like wow you just told her to shut up on Sky News I was like what so and I think it's that and I was just like so at the end of the day it's almost like they still want women to just be quiet and just let things happen to them and sort of women are just sort of saying no and maybe I live in a bubble of sort of who I follow on Twitter and everybody's just like it's not even I think a lot of the conversations I'm seeing aren't necessarily about Megan herself but like I said sort of things that have transcended from that and I think it was on like on LBC for example on LBC one of the I can't remember the name is of the guy who um he's an editor for one of the newspapers and he's just like mm. well I don't see her I don't see her as black like she's beautiful and people are like oh okay so you're saying that black women mm. aren't beautiful kind of thing is that what you're getting at here and it's like I said, the conversations that are coming from that, and it's just like, okay, she's she was she's you're calling her a bully, but then at the same time, you don't want to investigate the accusations that she's being bullied, and then from that, people being like, oh yes, me in the workplace, I've had similar things happen to me, and um, so yes, so like I said, p- choosing her more so for the conversations that have sparked and the things that have come to surface about the treatment of women just around the world and in general and I know she did used to be an actress so you can say that she but kind I also of think particularly <laughs> because she's a black woman that's that is part of the part of it as well though because uh, yeah the, the hate she gets seems to be of a whole different 
level than any other yeah. person connected. And a, just very unexplainable. Uh, her own yeah. father, too, yes. has mm-hmm. yeah. attacked her publicly, which is gross. The British press are incredibly racist and misogynistic. So it's like, yes, the intersection of racism and, I think and sexism. Mm. Yeah, and just the obviousness of it as well, which I think is quite... <laughs> It feels quite weird because you're just like, but can nobody else see Yeah, you mean, that? you mean brazenness, yeah? As in, how can you be this obviously... Yeah and, just be, yeah. yeah, and just be going yeah. along with it. And I'm sure we've all seen those comparative articles, um, headlines with sort of Kate, like her hugging her bump and it's being like, oh, how motherly. And then Megan do it and being like, oh, she's just, you know, she's so obsessed with herself. And it's just like, oh it's God. just so transparent. Like, oh, am, I, yeah. am I missing something? And it's sort of like, what kind of world is this? Have we entered the Twilight Zone? So it's just, I think the conversations, like I said, I find it so interesting and just, I like that they've sparked a lot of debate and pulled a lot of things to the surface and you know whether an, an whether or not anyone is listening is then another thing like I said I guess I can get into a bit of a bubble with you know who I follow on Twitter and things like that mm. but yeah because like I said I'm, I'm not even I don't really necessarily care too much about it. I think the issue is as well is that and I think the crown is is part of the problem here as well is that mm. ever since I was born like I remember we had like days at school where you'd celebrate the royal family or something like that there's something about royalty even in this day and age when it's so like the purpose mm. of or, or apart from maybe some tourism capitalism stuff and there's an idea now that it sits somewhere on the celebrity spectrum and that when you have the crown coming in as well which you know is not a documentary it is a you know is is a story of fictionalized versions of of real events but made in such a high quality way and and is you know can be so moving that you know you you feel invested in it whether you live through it or not and I, i feel and also the fact that megan was an actress as well um like i i do think there's this there's this unique blurring of the lines with her specifically that has never happened before like princess diana was probably the closest to it and that's nothing like what megan's had to go through and particularly megan's you know background that we all unfortunately know about like becky was saying it's like about her dad and everything because everything about her it's 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 so complicated because I do think in this country we do say if you're part of the royal family you owe us something because you're so wealthy and, and you know you get to go to all these posh places and be these patrons of thing, uh, things and what have you and I think the populace is like these are the rules you can do x as long as you do y and then Megan mm. came in and said like this is not working for me or my family and especially with everything that happened with Diana and, and I'm sure again I'm blaming again I'm ascribing this to Megan and I don't know it's just I read the sources like everybody else does and it could be Harry and then they decided to do this move away and I just think the unprecedented nature of it has led to the worst possible behavior in our tabloids and shown the country to be yeah racist and sexist and 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 um you know tall poppy syndrome and, and all of those as well so yeah, yeah I, I think I think that's a good choice and I yeah I do feel for what a person has to go through in her situation it's just horrible I just hope we'll come out better from this is that too optimistic I want to say yes <laughs> but I mean we'll we'll we'll, we'll soon know. see and I think just lastly on like the the just general double standards of it, 
for example, it being it's supposed to be Harry and Meghan's interview or whatever, but people keep calling it Meghan's interview. And it's just like, okay, one second you're like, oh no, the man is in charge. But actually, no, now you're like, oh no, she's the one skewing things and things like that. And it's just, it's really fascinating, actually. Like crazy, yeah. but fascinating. I'm sick of hearing about anything to do with the royal family, but um, yeah. but I'm, I'm with, I, I totally get your yeah. point, Jen. I agree. I think just as a human being, I just think she deserves to just not, no one deserves that. And it's just, she's become a symbol of, yeah, hatred and division for the British media. And it's yeah. tedious. And, it, and it, it's all, there's always going to be someone, and she was a very easy target. Uh, and like you say, it's just so obvious. They're not even trying to hide it. So it's not male racism or any sexism anymore. It's just straight up old-fashioned, you know, prejudice. And but I think also, you know, I I'm I, I'm limiting what I say because I absolutely hate the monarchy as an institution, and I'm very <laughs> anti the monarchy. And I, if I get started, I will just go off on a rant. Um, but part of me is quite excited about the fact that it could rock the entire institution. And I think that's what they're genuinely running scared of and to see the, the idea of the monarchy fearing for itself. No, I don't dislike that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to lie, um, but that's all I'm going to say. I will now say my third one. And again, I'm going to kind of, I'm, I, I like what Jen did there. I'm going to, I'm going to slightly change mine to, to, to be like a category rather than individuals, which is older women who are showing their value on screen. So I was toying with what I was going to pick. So the, 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 the you'll, you'll, you'll realise why. So firstly, I wanted to talk about Catherine Hahn because I love her so much. She's great in WandaVision, but she's also great in every single thing she's done. And one of my favourite shows ever is a show called, wait for it, I Love Dick. And she is, <laughs> she's the lead in that. And it's so, so, so good. good. Have you two seen it? Yes, I watched it twice. It's so good. <laughs> Jen, I highly recommend. I loved it. I was going to say, another one for the list. Yeah. <laughs> but um, but it's, it's her show and, um, yeah, I love that. There's another one she's done as well, Becky. Have you seen the one about the afternoon? I, I haven't seen the show. Delight. Yes, yeah, is that what it's called? Film, Jill Calloway film. Oh, is yeah, it yeah. a film? Sorry, I thought it was a TV series. So. No, I'm thinking of another one. Mrs. Some... She's Mrs. done a Fletcher. lot anyway. Yeah, Catherine Mrs. Hart. Fletcher. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. I just think that um, the fact that she is one of the most popular topics in superhero narratives at the moment. Is that like, and I don't know if you two have watched WandaVision, Becky, I think maybe not. Yeah, Jen. Um, and, um, I don't really know what WandaVision is. I don't really see, have you seen anything? <laughs> I'm interested to know. Does that get through to you? Do you ever see any pictures of Catherine Hahn, like looking witchy at the moment? No? No, you really no, don't I <laughs> I'm, I I'm surprised because there just seems to be everywhere. But then that's she basically play, plays plays a character in One Division called, uh, called uh, Agnes, and she's just absolutely amazing. She's in every episode. She does all these different things, but basically she is she's spoiler alert. She's this is a witch superhero type character and has come from the comics mm-hmm. over to this. And the fact that that's her and she's leading this as basically the major antagonist is like so awesome, particularly when she's always been on the cusp of things, but now she must be mm. receiving a, a, a level of fame that is probably unprecedented 
for her. And I'm so happy for her on that. And then the other two people I wanted to talk about um, were Regina King and Mariel Heller, because they're like, oh, my God, I can't, you know, I just feel so like incompetent. They're just so amazing. The work that they've done on a directorial perspective, also the acting, didn't even know about Mariel Heller until I um, saw her in uh, The Queen's Gambit. And then yeah. obviously Regina King, I've, I've seen loads and loads of what she's done, but One Night in Miami is obviously great. And I'm just like these two older women who are just fucking bossing it. And they're so mm-hmm. good. They're bringing in something new that I didn't, you know, I didn't know they could do and um, nothing, nothing's stopping them. And I just think there's a real moment um right now I think for if you want to try something new and then again for listeners and viewers of this podcast um if you want to get into something don't think it's too late you know that it's it's a age might change the kind of things you'll be able to do but it should never stop you from being basically the most successful people I'm just I'm so like in awe of what those three women have done <sighs> yeah, I'm a fan of those three as well. Yeah. <laughs> Agree. Um, yeah, it's like seeing someone like Regina King, like from like I watch old random '90s movies, and I was like, oh, that that's Regina King. Yeah. And then sort of to think the sort of progression of her career, and then her di- di- directorial debut, and I'm like, oh, only only now. But I guess at the same, like you said, she's older, but that doesn't mean that you can't do anything later on. Maybe she's always wanted to direct, and now this is her first opportunity to direct. Who, who knows? But It's hard it's to make that a she could. film to get funding. Yeah. We need Emma Thomas. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Had she ever directed any of the TV? Because she's been in a lot of series as well, hasn't she? They don't think so, no. I think not that I know thing. I'm not certain. Mm. Yeah, because she was in Seven Seconds, which, to be honest, wasn't an amazing series, but it was worth watching because of her. Like, she was yeah. hands down the best. There's not, not um, anything against the rest of the car. It was, it had a particular point to make. It made its point, but the problem with that is it made a lot of the characters slightly caricature And mm. anyway, I'm going to go into... So the internet's a bit. It was. But when you're as talented um, as she is, you can get something but she, but from she, everything you're given. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so, but she was incredible in that role, and that was the first thing I'd seen her in. Um, major thing I'd seen her in, and like, and like you say, like I then re- went back and saw her in other things, and realised like she's really, really young. I think she's in Boys in the Hood as like mm, a teenage yeah. girlfriend, like really minor role. Like I, I wouldn't have recognised her because she is so young. She's probably about eighteen or something. And um, yeah, so yeah, you get that she's had such a well, I forgot that she had such a long career, but I think in the last five or six years, it's really she's really come into her own with film and television. Mm-hmm. And now directing, I think that's really exciting. I hope she does more of it. I honestly just can't, like, I just every time I just think of something new, I'm like, in if Bill Street could talk, in The Leftovers, in Watchmen, and that's only in the last few years. Like yeah. she probably makes me cry. Always <laughs> 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 makes me cry. Uh, oh, she's just she's just so yeah. Good. Not a lot of comedy, to be fair. No, <laughs> <But> um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, Jen. Do you think? Can you think of her anything? I'm sure she's, she's young. She's, yeah, I'm sure she's been in something, but I can't remember the top of my head. Yeah, but like, you know, just one of those sort of standard comedic films. But I guess that's the thing. She's been in a bit of everything from Boys, mm. the, Boys in the Hood to comedy to like a, a comic adaptation. So, yeah, 
yeah so I think that I want to end just by saying thank you both very much for doing this it was a great chat it was lovely to see your faces and hear your voices and also I learn I always do but I learn something and I just think this kind of thing is just so good where we share things um and I also wanted to say you know IWD International Women's Day is a great idea I'm not against it but I also strongly believe that um that you know we don't want to just throw everything into one day and then make that okay so I kind of think that I'm going to put this out maybe a bit later this week and just say Mm. it's International Women's Day for us so just oh Becky Matthews Jen Francis thank you very very much do you want to say about where people can contact you oh well I'm not I'm not really on Twitter anymore but um don't you? Yeah, and I actually changed my name recently, so I've added an extra name to confuse everyone. Oh, for your Lima, sorry. I'm, That's all right. That's, yeah. I'm still Becky Matthews. I'm just I've just added it now with extra lime. Little joke, little joke. I love it. <laughs> but yeah, um, so I'm on yeah, I'm on Instagram um uh, Becky Lima Matthews writer. I said that really fast, so yeah. But, um, and um, yeah, but my website is still um, becky-matthews.com because I'm cheap. And you, if you put a hyphen in between your two names, it's cheaper than putting the domain name with both your names. Hey, this podcast top tips for interesting. <laughs> good to know. Good so, to Jen, know. talk about Sassy Jam. Come on, I always love hearing. Oh gosh. Uh, um, okay, what, sure. What are uh, working on? Because I thought I saw something where it said you were working on a new secret project. Is this wrong? Um, no, I, I do tend to tease things here and there. I mean, we are currently, oh, we've been nominated for a test card award for Edinburgh TV Festival. And um, we'll find out results on that soon, which is actually very exciting for our web series, Phase 2, and that we put our heart, soul, backs and uh, things into. So that's always exciting. Um, and then we're currently working on two things, actually, a short film that we are trying to get some information for funding about. So if anyone has any funding information for short films, um, let us know. And also a documentary or a documentary teaser is what we're working on at the moment. So, yes, more to come once we uh, work like a, ourselves like a proof out. of concept kind of yeah, I think we are aiming to do some sort of teaser trailer um, sort of and sort of pitching it as a development project and sort of seeing how to go from there and then getting funding and then making it ourselves or, you know, if we don't get funding, because that's what we just do. We just do it ourselves because we just love to keep moving. So, um, yes, yeah, so I can either be found on Twitter at JustGen underscore O2 or at Sassy Jam Productions. Yeah. I almost wanted to make you one of my international women because I don't know <laughs> someone who's as prolific as you. Jen also sends out a newsletter uh, telling me about all the things I should watch, read and listen to. And then I'm like, oh, my God, you watch so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah. But I mean, I've just the break this week that I've had, though, has been very good for me because I think good. there are a few things that I might need to cull from my, like... The things that I do because this rest was very necessary. Um, yes, yeah, but I love being a creative. So I've got a, um, yeah. I've got a uh, um, quote on my phone from an interview with with Chris Rock, and he always and he said, "You can't be good on the side." He was like, "You can't like can't, you can't put every single thing on the side." So you've got you know a whole plate of different things. It's a bit. I think it, it kind of means like don't spin too many. Yeah. 
But I always think, because I'm the same as you, just, you know, something shiny, new project to start. And then I've done that as well before. Um, I was going to say, Jen, very just quickly on the funding Mm. uh, thing, just reminded me, um, Film London, if you subscribe to their newsletter, they usually have lists of film funds that are coming up and shootingpeople.org, if you're a member of that, um, it's something about 30 quid for a year and uh, I think I have let my mention that, but when I was I there, at the moment, um, so I could look they, at all the new gems. So. Yeah, they, they they have a whole constant um, competitions, and so some of them are in the form of a competition where you mm. sort of pick an idea, and then others are just straight up funds. Um, oh, so no, yeah, that's the, good. Yeah, definitely worth looking at those two specifically. I think shooting shooting uh, people is something that I keep coming across and then being like, yeah, I don't quite get how it operates or works, and then me, moving away from. Let me email I that think... I get, and then you can have a look at you can have a look no, at it. From there. I don't know what you'll be able to see, but just just you can yeah. also host your you can upload you could probably up, upload episodes of phase two on there as well. That's good. Yeah, so we're really trying to take funding seriously this year because um, the other things we did, which was all off sort of our own back, we're just like, no, we need to try and you know pay people properly and mm. not have to rely on the finances for ourselves so this year we're yeah. really trying to it's just one of those things there's just so many things to do yeah so just funding always just ends up at the bottom it's just like okay let me write first it's like okay no let, let's just cast people first and it's like oh crap we haven't <laughs> got any well, just some materials together like when I applied for yeah. the BAFTA Rockcliffe thing like I didn't get anywhere but it was actually really nice because they made you do a kind of mini treatment and mm. um and a script and some character bios and I was like oh okay so now at least I have some materials yeah Okay, we'll revisit those uh, those paths. I always learn something new from both of you ladies, which I love. Huge thanks to Jen and Becky for bringing it as usual, being so articulate, thoughtful and wise. Thank you for making it to the end of the episode. I really appreciate it. And I hope maybe some of that at the end might be helpful if you're in the industry or want to break into the industry and that's about it let's celebrate women every single day see ya